I have a good bit <laughs> for the start of the show if you want to. Oh, please. Slowly inch into it. So uh, I don't know what level of quarantine you're on, but this is our first episode of our podcast about Homestuck, Stuck at Home. Oh! <laughs> yep. <laughs> sure is. Um, I guess you could say we're all at home. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you could say it. I guess you could. Oh god, you could. You could I mean it, it makes you empathize with the with the kiddos, right? Yeah. Like I you know, I was once a kiddo stuck at home messaging my friends on the internet, and then I I got to not be for a while and fucking uh welcome back to that. <laughs> it's so uh, yeah, we're all we're all just uh what's hive not hive swapped hive bound hive hive bent hive bent yeah yeah we're all uh, wait, wait 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 for it caged hams caged hams <laughs> I don't get it yeah well like you know how you might have like aged ham we're, oh. we're the hams oh. no but we're caged <laughs> ah folks she don't miss she keeps coming. <laughs> No, she do miss because she forgot the meme is steamed hands. <laughs> <laughs> because my brother sends me these things every so often. They're little, like, pencil erasers of pigs with a thing stamped on them and, like, a nonsense postcard that almost makes sense. And it, it they're called age hams. Age hams? I don't know. You're supposed to, like, name them. You I... just keep sending them to me in the mail. I'm fascinated. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't either. <laughs> well, that's the way Homestuck works. Uh, welcome to the Hamstake Podcast, everyone. Uh, 2020 edition. Unfortunately. Uh, but we're here to read Homestuck and tell you about it. That's right. I'm Alex, and I have not read Homestuck before. My name's Lydia, and I swear to fuck I'm going to read the rest of the goddamn comic one of these days. um and this week we are here to tell you about uh we're here to run up to cascade yes it is the final countdown to the third waypoint of the thing the third waypoint the one like the one third way oh yeah point yeah (laughs) yeah oh my gosh it's so exciting it's like it, it that particular piece of media was so formative for me um it was like how I got into the comic because I had this friend who um, had been telling me about it and I was like very intrigued uh, and I didn't really understand it. And then they just showed me that animation and I was like baffled completely because it didn't make any goddamn sense. Um, <laughs> but I was like, at that point I was like, okay, I need to understand what the fuck is going on here because every piece of music in this bangs. Um and there's so many cool character designs, and I need to know what's going on. And, like, that was what made me read Homestuck, was Cascade. So I'm, I'm like, very pumped to be running up to it. Alex, how are you feeling? I'm also feeling very pumped. Uh, as happens every time I read Homestuck, I, I remember what I like about it. And it makes me excited to read more of it. Yeah, I, I picked it up today. And um, just, I think one of the first things that we read is a conversation between Rose and Dave. And I was immediately like, oh, these kids, these fucking kids, these precocious mm. children. <laughs> yeah, they're all simply our babies and we love them. 
we do. <laughs> it made even the murder ones in in their way. Yeah, they listen. They don't know any better. They don't. And in fact, um, this week we're going to find out a little bit more background on why it's like that. Yeah. You want to just jump into it? Let's jump into it. When we left off, uh, Doc Scratch had left the reader to peruse his scrapbook albums. Yes! Uh, and that means that there are just some interactive loose panels on the ground, which link to like little segments, uh, which are just like numbered pages. So if I, what I was doing was just like, when it sent me back to the scrapbook page, I just like manually entered the next page because I didn't want to like remember which ones I had done yet. Oh, that's a smart way to do it. I was just taking such meticulous notes because I'm so out of practice at doing I have 12 pages of notes. Um, <laughs> that I was just doing like a little header in Google Docs for each individual one because I was like, I need to be able to like go through like, so there's a couple of them. There's like a scrapbook page, a scrapbook page, a scrapbook page, maybe like three. I can't remember how many there are. And then it, there's a couple of narratives that are just one scrapbook vignette long, and there's a couple that go between them. And so I made them into like Google Docs headers because then it automatically generates a document hierarchy. There's a fun hack oh, okay. for <laughs> I'm delivering that to, to you, listener, as a as a hack. If Alex decides to leave this in the show, um, so you can yeah, automatically like link to things. Yeah, it's it's really useful. It's fucking so handy. It saved my life as a scientist. Um, but so so I can try to run through the different little narrative bits that go through. Um, we should probably just start at the beginning, though, right? Yeah, that's fine. So do you want to start with... I wanted to actually start with... Um, the first one I read was Nepeta and Jasper Sprite. Yeah, that one, yeah. Because I was reading it like late at night with my cat curled up on my lap, and it, oh. these are two cat people, and it just it made me like almost cry. <laughs> Um, they are, so this is just like for flavor, but Nepeta and Jasper Sprite are on Rose's planet and just Nepeta is saying goodbye to Jasper Sprite because they're about to go dark. The human universe is about to go dark relative to the trolls. And, you know, she's just saying like, you remind me, she basically tells them like, you remind me of my Lucis. You know, you remind me of my cat mom that I had. And Jasper Sprite is like, yeah, you remind me of Rose who I loved very much. And... It's just so sad and very sweet. It is. Yeah, I my note I didn't like write notes about everything they said. I just said they have a heart to heart about love and loss and just being a cat. And being and how it is to be a cat. Because Jasper Sprite is over and over is like again I am just a little cat and I do not understand these things. But it seems as if yeah she he one of the things he says is that's my story and that's why I think there's always hope even if you die and I just <laughs> pet my little cat in my lap and cried like you beautiful simple animal uh then what happens um so Jade Sprite and Dave Sprite are running into each other on the battlefield um Dave Sprite's like bleeding out through his torso um Jade Sprite is like weeping um and we should probably follow them i think that's one that we should that's one that we should follow jade sprite uh as soon as she was made by jade she like kind of ran away crying yeah because she was like i didn't ask to exist i was dead you know yeah whereas dave sprite says he's been like going around doing stuff but also feels as if he's no longer uh useful in the session yeah so for him, it, it, it's like a good thing that he, you know, has the opportunity. And, and, and they talk about, you know, the difference between asking to exist and, and not. Dave, Dave Sprite made a very deliberate choice to exist. but um, And he, he asks her at some point, he's like, well, what would you do if you weren't scared? 
um, which is always a great question to ask yourself in life. Um, (laughs) And they, they talk about, uh, they basically go over um, a thread that runs through a couple of these different narratives, which is you're not supposed to kill your denizen, just like the big monster that like lives in the boss castle of your land in suburb. You're not supposed to kill it. You're supposed to like let it give you advice. Like it it makes a deal with you. Um, Sometimes a really important deal. And, um, Dave talks about, Dave Sprite talks about how, you know, he had this broken sword and he went to go see, um, he went to go see Hephaestus, um, and he knew he couldn't kill him. And so he let him talk and he told him, I'll make you a deal. I can fix one thing in the forge. And any, it could be anything, but only Mm -hmm. one thing. And, you know, he's got this like perforated torso, (laughs) but he Mm -hmm. just goes, yeah, fix the sword. I'm going to bring it back to Dave. Um. And he has Hephaestus fix the sword. He also, so he needs also for, to work the forge, he needs lava, or no, sorry, to work, to, like, to fix something, he needs lava from the forge, which means that the other denizen, Echidna, also has to be awake. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so what Dave Sprite is describing is, like, the way it's quote-unquote supposed to work is when you reach the denizen fight, they're asleep. Um, but if you, like, skip to them, they're going to be awake and pretty upset at you for, like, playing the game out of sequence yes yeah so to to have uh echidna actually be awake you either have to like go there and wake them up at the right time or you have to just like skip to them and they'll already be awake yeah yeah and uh and so they managed to make that happen and they light the forge and then they you know fix the sword and uh uh, then he he approaches Jade Sprite and they end up talking. You know, so Jade uh, Jade has Beckerel powers. Jade Sprite has Beckerel powers, um, so like teleporting space powers. Um, and uh, the deal that that uh, Jade had to make with um, uh, we later find out. I think we find that in a different narrative. But the deal that Jade had to make to light the forge in the first place was she has to bring all the denizens with them. She has to bring all their lands and all the denizens with them when they escape from you know, the collapsing suburb universe. And right. she's like, I have no idea how I'm going to do that. But, but Dave Sprite goes to Jade Sprite and, and, and just says, all right, like I need you to use your Beckerel powers and take this sword and give it to Dave. Like just he, give it he to says, him. He says, he says, do the spacey thing. To be do exact. the spacey thing. <laughs> we had the windy thing. Now we have the spacey thing. Which is really funny. I didn't even, I didn't even realize it was like a pun, but like Jade being spacey and then like being the space player. It's funny. Yeah, that is pretty good. Oh, also, it is like super poignant. It's not just hey, you have space powers. It's like also, I'm gonna go ahead and die here. Bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's hey, you didn't ask to be uh, created, but there is something you can do to help. Uh, and if you weren't afraid, would you be able to do it? And then she does it, and it's good. Yes, it is. Um, what else? What else happens? Uh, Rose and Dave uh, talk to each other. Rose is being weird. <laughs> As usual. They're, so Dave is on his roof at on Earth, uh, and they're having a conversation, and Dave is talking about how he had a dream uh, and wanted to like get psychoanalysis from Rose. Uh, and then Dave starts remembering that this conversation ha- didn't happen like this, uh, and he's either asleep or dead. And she won't tell him which. Yes. And they have kind of a long conversation, so... Um... Rose is trying to jog Dave's memory, uh, and he's talking about, again, like, how he never asked to be the, the, is he the knight of space? Or the knight of time? The knight of time, but he's like, maybe I'd rather just be, like, the Dave of Guy. (laughs) Yeah. 
And she goes, uh, if you're not ready to die, basically, why did you insist on going on the mission to deliver the green sun? Like, what was your deal with that? And he, like, he, like, can't answer the question because it's Dave and he, he re- like, refuses to interrogate his interiority at all. But uh, finally, I think he starts to piece together what really happened, which was, so they were both on Durst um, together because they're the Durst dreamers. And they put the, they put the tumor onto the moon of Durst. Um, and they were going to ride that to the sun, um, homestuck. And, um, <laughs> he had, he had used the, the broken sword to, um, cut the chain that holds the moon to Durst, at which point he finally realizes Rose, uh, knocked him out with a ball of yarn. Mm-hmm. So he is in fact not dead. He's dreaming and Rose is there in person cruising through his dream bubble in the furthest ring. And the reason she's been stringing him along is to stall so that he doesn't try to hop on uh, while she's mm-hmm. passing through on her way to the green sun. She also, um, when uh, he cuts the chain with a sword, I, I'm i just piecing together now that that's the sword that uh, Jade Sprite just sent to him. Oh my god, wait, oh god, oh my god, because that means she sent it to him and it lodged in the chain and then as soon as he touched it, it broke again. And Dave Sprite, like, basically gave his life to... <sighs> right, well, so what I think happens is, like, so it, the way, the reason it breaks so easily is, like, it is, like, Dave Specifus is broken sword, right? Yeah. But I think, like, he has to break it to, like, get the item. Mm. So having, so for him... Like the perfect, like the perfect sword for Dave is one that breaks with the least trouble possible, so that he can use it. I think. Oh my god, that's, that's just my that's just my theory. I I believe your theory. I accept it. I christen it. <laughs> um, oh, and then so then they have this conversation. They make like a bajillion sports jokes. It's very funny. And then um, he, you know he agrees to like stay unconscious and talk to her. And then uh, oops, uh, Diamonds Droog appears in uh, Dave's room and stabs him in the stomach. And Dave wakes up on Durst. Yes. Actually, <laughs> in person. Also, we didn't mention, uh, but it'll be important later, um, when they're walking or when they're talking on Durst, uh, Liv Tyler is there holding the uh, tumor capture card. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which the continuity, continuity is happening here. Um, uh, she basically escaped from, we'll tell you in a second, but, um, <laughs> so Dee Dee has just stabbed Dave through his torso. He wakes up, he grabs this broken sword and he just flies off towards Rose. He's like go- going to chase the moon down. Yeah. Um, and then what's, so what's going on with Liv Tyler was, um, Club's Deuce and the Wayward Vagabond took off in a Durse battleship. Club's Deuce thinking, this is great, like, I'm gonna steal the tumor, Jack's gonna be so happy, and he pickpockets it out of WV, who has, like, is, like, none the wiser, uh, which Liv Tyler witnesses, and they have, like, a cat and mouse chase through the ship, like, family circle style with little, like, foot paths. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Liv Tyler, like, pickpockets Club's Deuce, or the courtyard droll, whatever you want to call him, um, steals the tumor out, puts the wallet back, and dips. Yeah, there are some escape pods in this uh, little, in this big tanker. Right, yeah, so so uh, the Courtyard Droll and Liv Tyler both dip, and then uh, I believe at that point, I think the ship breaks, I don't remember how the ship breaks, but the ship like uh, breaks in Jack, half. Yeah, Jack appears in front of uh, WV, or uh, back Noir, appears in front of WV, uh, I think somehow realizes he doesn't have the wallet. 
uh, and then uh-huh. just like explodes the ship. It, he realizes it because because he like calls him. <laughs> um, oh yeah, or he, something like uh, that. Yeah. Uh, clubs clubs deuce uh, calls Beck and says, "Hey, I'm missing the thing." Uh, and Beck's like, "Don't worry, your actual mission is now to kill Jade." Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Jack uh, blows up the ship. I'm gonna say Jack and Beck interchangeably. Uh, Jack blows up the ship. Uh. And WV gets sent careening in one half of it through a portal, uh, which ends up uh, sending him to the future desiccated Earth, where he is uh, seen falling through the sky by a little someone known as PM. And that's how he got there. Yeah, that's how he arrives. Um, So I think that's it for that narrative segment. And he he has the ring, the, the important big ring with him. Right, which we see him use much yes. later, much earlier in this story, much later in his timeline. Um, then, um, so John um, John is wrapping a birthday present for Jade, and, and uh, Vriska is talking to him. And he doesn't know who she is. Nope. And she is kind of, at first she's disappointed, um, and then she eventually decides she's rather pleased. Uh, mm-hmm. that he does not know the quote unquote like compromising things about her. Right, which is that she like has a crush on him. Uh, and also all the like all the murder and stuff. Yeah, I was thinking it was more the murder stuff. Um cuz <laughs> what happens is is basically, you know, they were supposed to go on a date and then Vriska got herself stabbed in the back, um quite justly. And now she's uh with John, who we who slowly, very slowly recollects that uh, he is dead. Uh, he got himself killed. He is the John that um, Terezi, you know, tricked into going and fighting his denizen much too early and just being killed. Yeah. So this is the John. This is John who died before he even met Friska. So like, even as he jogs his memory, he's not going to remember her. Right. But she does like just show up outside his w- window as in, outside his house. And he's like, wow, not only a cool alien girl, but a cool ghost alien girl is outside my house. Uh, and they start wandering through their memories in this dream bubble. It's really sweet. Yeah, at first they're like, you know, um, well, this isn't a date. And then John kind of shows her around his neighborhood. And then she kind of shows. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, John's description of his neighborhood Uh it's like, hmm, well, all my neighbors live in these houses that are identical to mine, and I never see them. They must be so busy with work. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, okay. Okay, Mr. Lives in the Sims. Oh my god. Spurb. Um, yeah. The logo of which, on the rare occasions we actually see it spelled out, I believe, is in the Sims font. <laughs> I'm not mistaken. Um, or something, Sims Something adjacent. similar. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she he takes her on a tour of the lake, which is the exploded Betty Crocker factory. Uh, and then they end up uh, wandering into Alternia, where we see Friska's hive. And she kind of gives him a tour of, you know, her belongings. She doesn't want to talk about her smashed eight balls. Um, And, uh, you know, finally it's like, well, maybe this is a date. And, uh, you know, hi, I'm Friska. Like, you know, properly introduces herself. Yeah. uh, She also, um, outside her hive, when he's like, wow, it's a castle. That's so cool. And she's like, yeah, of course it's cool. I designed it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I didn't really have a choice. I was like, I had to design it. Uh, and it's kind of embarrassing because, uh, I designed it when I was like a child and I've outgrown those sensibilities and it's so big and I feel so trapped in it. And John's like, I understand because my dad, for some reason, one time thought I like clowns. And now he's like, he thinks I'm obsessed with clowns. 
Yeah. And she's like, well, it's not, it's not quite the same, but okay. Thank you. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> Thank you anyway. They're like actually getting to relate. And it's like kind of, I love that Vriska exists as a character because she's just really like one long kind of exploration of what is even the meaning of redemption and, and what are the merits of a person who's done terrible things. And especially when that person is also like an innocent, you know, they're a young person. They've, they've been, you know, raised and trained to be the way that they are. God. Yeah. It's really, um, I don't know if you've seen around, but like people who worked on Atla have talked a bit about how they wanted to have a fourth season, which would focus on an Azula redemption arc. Ah. And I'm just like, Oh my God, that could have been so good. It really, I mean, and they're very similar. They're honestly pretty similar character archetypes where it's like, no, she yeah. really is just better than you. And she really is that messed up. Like, yeah, she she really was groomed to be like a, a monster. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, I would have loved that. I bet you there's a comic about it. Yeah, I think they touch on it in the comics. Um, hey, do you want to hear a story from uh, John's grandma? yeah. Do you want to tell the story that John's Nana tells us? I, um, I can try. Uh, so basically, I'm not exactly sure what's happened here. Uh, we see Dad's bloody hat floating in the breeze, and then uh, Nana Sprite's ghostly arm catches it, and she sees a a gray utilitarian communication device nearby with a little notification from a gray fedora uh, icon. And she picks it up, and it's, I guess, like, a friend. So it's great that you picked up on that on your first read, because I picked up on that this time. I thought it was him posting on Twitter, not him getting messages. Like, on, like, dad Twitter. But now I understand. <laughs> dad dad Twitter. A Twitter for dads. <laughs> okay, yeah, so yeah. Uh, Fedora Freak uh, is posting uh, to uh, Pipefan413, which is dad, uh, and then uh, Nana Sprite responds like, "Oh ho ho ho! This isn't this isn't him, but this is his mother, and I'm concerned about him." Uh, <laughs> and Fedora Freak uh, is like, "Well, I'm really tired. I'm just gonna go lie on this like big slab rock that I'm sure is normal." <laughs> He's like clearly uh, dying. Yeah. Also, are we supposed to know who this is? No. <laughs> Great. No, I actually looked it up to make sure that we weren't supposed to know who this person was, and, and no, we don't. Great. Um. So yeah. Uh. Nana Sprite is like, why don't I tell you a story about uh, a young boy and girl who were raised by an evil bakery witch, uh, the, and then it, it's her as a child and the other one, the, the two, um, I know her name is Jane. I don't know what his name is. Um, uh, that's we'll okay. find out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you will. Um, uh, and please continue. I'm gonna J- let you take is this it, one. Is it, sorry, is it Jake? It's Jake. Okay. Yeah. You got I, it. Just cause it's. It's, con- it's going to be confusing if I just say, oh, the boy and the girl, who knows what their names are. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, she tells the story of how they were raised uh, after falling from meteors by the wicked witch of bakery, Betty Crocker. Uh, Jake eventually ran away with the family dog uh, and became like an adventurer, adv- inventor, uh, became Jade's grandpa. Uh, and uh, she, she was le- Jane was left with the evil bakery witch uh, and she said... She says, like, the only thing that I could do to, like, beat the witch was beat her at her own game. So I became the best baker I could. Uh, and then one day when uh, Jake was very successful and I wanted to see him again, I asked her and she said, no, you can never see him again because I'm evil. Uh, and I'm keeping you apart because you're actually not brother and sister. You're uh, 
fated to be married and have kids that save the world, like in a fairy tale. Uh, but I will never let that happen. Uh, and then at the end, uh, Nana Sprite says the Baroness was not human. Yeah. So she vanishes, and then and then she, you know, she finds she she's got the secret on her, which is that she's not human. Um, yes. Oh, hello, Max the dog, being visited. Hello, snuffly guy. Um. Then Fedora Freak's battery dies, and it's very sad. Wait, time out. Time out. Is there a dog named Max? Yeah. I didn't know there was two dogs. I don't know if you heard that. Yes, there's two dogs named Max, and one of them is... and Sorry, there's two dogs. One of them is named Max. Uh, he belongs to Courtney. I see. He's very... He's so cute. Aww. He's like a little 15-pound little nugget of mud. Oh my goodness. Fluffy is he, mud. Wait, 15 pounds? Is he bigger and smaller than Cat Max? Bigger um, or smaller? Not a whole lot bigger. <laughs> That's funny. He's, you know, tougher. He's a dog and not a cat, but he's not necessarily... Yes. <laughs> he's not longer. I'll tell you that. He's not longer than, than a fully extended Max. Aw. He's a, he's, a he's, a, he's a naughty boy. He'll steal your sandwich if you so much as look away from it. Anyway. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, Fedora Freak's battery dies, uh, and it's very sad. I hope he's having a good sleep. <laughs> he's probably god tier. Yeah. So, anyway... Um, we're getting through these. So, um, yeah. one, one of the, one of the other ones is honestly, okay. So this whole, this whole batch, um, we're into the second batch now. And the only one left actually in the second batch to pick up is, um, so Jade is, I believe she's just on her planet. She's in the land of frost and frogs in a, in a froggier part rather than a frostier part. Um, mm -hmm. she's talking to Carcat. Yeah. Um, so Carcat, um, she's insisting on getting a password from him because they're trying to stay, like, temporally locked, which I think is very smart. Um, and, uh, Carcat is ranting at her, uh, to f because she's talking to Echidna rather than killing her, which, you know, we later find out is how Dave, uh, or maybe we had previously found out that that's how Dave, um, you know, was a Dave Sprite was able to get the sword fixed is because Jade sliding, ha having Echidna, you know. I, like the... I believe this is where we learn about the denizens being like talked talk toable. Yeah, it's like simultaneous. Um, yeah, it's it's simultaneous. They really kind of hammer it into you. Um, you go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, so Karkat is uh, is basically ranting at her because he's in the middle of trying to find Gamzee um, because people are dying. And then uh, future Kanaya, who's a little bit ahead of Karkat, opens up a memo uh, for them to talk so yeah that's they start there and then can i opens the memo and then i have past carcat looking for jade starting to think this is a doomed timeline that's the part yeah yeah <laughs> that's scary okay. yeah <laughs> he's so sure that it's a doomed timeline because he can't find anyone um and uh jade so jade is complaining that uh jack is like following her around because or you know beck noir he's part beckroll he still thinks he's her dog in a way that's why he's trying to get someone else to kill jade because he like wants her to yeah. die, but can't, can't. <laughs> he's, so he's just like angrily, like stepping on frogs, just like trailing behind her sulking, which is extremely funny. <laughs> um, but it gets Carcat talking about uh, how important the frogs are. And he starts admitting mistakes when he thinks no one can hear him at the end of his timeline. Yeah. Uh, and he says he thinks he knows what the critical moment is at the end of their timelines and it's the fact that due to his mistakes, the Genesis frog in the Trolls universe is missing a crucial DNA sequence because he didn't give uh, Kanaya enough time to find like 
the the most important frog. Oh my god, yes. He, I, I remember this, like, flooring me the first time I read it. Just flooring me all the way. Like, Jade, I, I'm so sorry I gave your universe cancer. Cancer, because he's cancer. Oh, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> fuck! Yeah, yeah. Uh, my other note is bilious slick. More like bilious sick. Because <laughs> he has cancer. He looks like shit. Like, he looks cool, but he looks like shit. Like, also, very interesting, I guess, a genre of, like, creepy imagery, which is just this fucking frog um, that's, like, made of outer space, and it has these, like, red eyes with these, like, very wide out around it, like, coronas, like, pulsing coronas of red light, and it's, like, beautiful, yeah. but somehow also very sickly looking. And, like, he has, like, his entire throat is, like, extended like like if a frog was like croaking and its big throat sack came out but just like it's stuck out that way yeah uh and yeah basically cat car cat says like sorry for giving you a doomed universe uh and yeah because this this frog to back up a little bit this frog is like our universe uh and car cat messed it up and made it impossible he thinks made it like made it so that there is a mutation in the reproductive system that makes the universe doomed and makes the kid session impossible to complete making the making it basically a an infertile universe yeah and then i don't i think i don't remember who is the narrator but they kind of continue that thread and talk about how in a way the cancer i think maybe this is car cat's hunch the cancer is jack yeah yeah so what he says is like uh, instead of, like, uh, cells failing, the disease took a f- the form of a series of terrible events uh, and became a hostile agent in the system with the instinct to destroy everything it hated and the power to do so. And this is accompanied by, like, the panels of Jack just, like, stepping on frogs because he is programmed to hate frogs. Uh, right. And unlike a cancer, even though it can be, it was chased out of the, by the immune system, uh, like, it was sent to the uh, troll's session to like like outside of the body of the frog uh, i didn't lose its power because uh it can still destroy the body outside of it yeah <laughs> so not good not good uh but as he starts like giving farewells to everyone like figuring he's doomed uh future can i answers and she's like hey it's fine i'm okay yeah <laughs> Um, Alright, so next one is a short one. It's just a little vignette of Aradia floating in a green glow, and um, Solix comes up behind her, um, I guess because he's a billet, he has, you know, one foot on each side, fucking stupid bifurcation theme, <laughs> whatever, um, you know, talking about how I'm waiting for our friends to arrive, and, you know, first it's going to be two of the humans, so sounds like probably Dave is going to catch up with the moon. <laughs> And come out there to the green sun. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and they look up at the green sun and uh, Solek says it looks 2D to him. Heh. Because uh, 3D glasses. Wait, what? His his 3D, his 3D glasses theme. I didn't know he had a 3D glasses theme. The, bl- the blue and red eyes. Oh, I get it, I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, also, I mean, I think what it means, like, it looks 2D to him because he's not really there. Like, he's... Mm. he's one he's half there i guess I yeah it's it's presented like a punchline and i was just like all right okay um i want to leave there so there's a thing with doc scratch that i want to leave to the end because that's what's going to take yeah. us back to linear 
you know, narration. Yeah. So I want to talk about, um, there's, there's a, a page that just has one note and it's one of those pictures of like nineties, like kids or teens, like with just like ridiculous cyber suits of like stupid clunky 1990s technology, like attached to them or like cool, you know, children's clothing catalog, skate children that uh, (laughs) Therese used to like doodle all over and send to Dave um, because their children are adorable. Um, And uh, car cat sitting alone. Um, Oh, this is, um, sorry. This is, this is part of uh, where, try that again. So, so inside, (laughs) inside of this note, um, he's, this is like a little slice of where he, he, he thinks this is a doomed timeline and we see, so he has just told Jade that, uh, she should not turn her back on, um, the, on Beck basically. And, and the pester log is going like non-concurrently with what, what we see on the screen. What we see on screen is, um, uh, Jade in her lab with her back turned to Beck um, looking up at a view screen, um, where you can see PM and Serenity the Firefly, and they're looking up at, in future apocalyptic Earth, the Becquerel head that AR has rigged to blow up. Um, and above it, red miles, like the, the attack that Jack has are like spreading through the sky. And that's like the visual segue that takes us into the image of Billy is slick with his cancer. And it's like fucking okay, gotcha. the visuals I there. Yeah. I didn't know what the, the red like lines were. That's Jack's attack. Yeah. Cool. So that, that visual transition is, is worth checking out. It's very, very cool. Mm-hmm. And then we're like almost, almost done. Um, there's, Dave and Gamzee chatting, and then we're we're into Doc Scratch, pretty much. We also uh, we didn't we didn't do everything with Jade uh, yet because she talks about the um, the deal she made with her denizen, oh. uh, and we get to see uh, her getting the last frog that she needs uh, because basically uh, what happened was she doesn't remember this until the denizen helps her remember it, but one of her dream, like her, her sleepwalking times as a child, uh, she was walking into like the lagoon on her island and she saw this really weird, like glowing white frog with like rainbow eyes. Uh, and it's like the final frog that she needed in the future to finish the DNA sequence for the Genesis frog. Um, but in the, like when it happened in childhood, it died as soon as she touched it. Uh, and we also get a close up of like oh that's like when uh, i got jadebot who could like do sleepwalking stuff for me and we see a close-up of like a panel on jadebot and it shows that she's like a betty crocker product yeah <laughs> i just wanted to jump in and add that um the frog doesn't die it doesn't just happen to die we see it there's a green flash and then it dies and there's becquerel's head like not beck noir right. but becquerel's head in the bottom right corner so okay yeah so sure um but so uh, seeing this memory now that she has been jogged by Echidna, she's able to like use the transportalizer or whatever. I don't remember how this stuff works, and I don't think <laughs> it's impossible. It's possible to remember all of it, but she gets like the the ghost imprint of the frog, gets its DNA, is able to combine it with all the other frogs, and gets this uh, magic eight ball with a tadpole in it, which is the Genesis frog. Yes, um, and and we'll come back to her and the Genesis frog <laughs> in a little bit. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, but 
Um, so then the last thread that takes us through all of this is uh, there's a banging. So that, you know, half the reason that we've been, the reason we've been left alone to, to look over these like scrapbook bits is because there's a mysterious banging that uh, Scratch has taken a broom uh, to go check out. And we just slowly see him working his way through his mansion, just being like, shut up, like, try, you know, approaching this heavily padlocked door. Yes. And there's, so he approaches this, this uh, padlocked door and then there's a hard cut <laughs> to um, uh, Hussey um, in a hero of space god tier outfit. Um, and he is arranging two fenestrated panels, like a V. So like they share one edge and then they're spread out by a yardstick's distance at the other edge. Um, and then there's a huge green coat with flashing multicolored cuffs thrown over the inside of, of, you know, the rightmost panel sort of between them. Yeah. Um, my first, my first thought like of what he's doing here is I thought he was like trying to photocopy it. (laughs) That would be really good. Um, I can't wait for you to find out the payoff for that. It's so, it's so stupid, but it's also pretty cool. The first time I saw it, I was floored. Um, (laughs) But so, you know, you realize you, you see this and then you see that um, there is a troll girl who sort of looks like a radio. She's got her coloring um, and her. Yeah, I did, I did just think it was a radio for several pages. I think you're meant to. I think you're yeah, meant to be because, like, what the fuck? Yeah. Is this the first time we've seen a troll ancestor as like an actual troll and not like a cutout or like a an outline with cool colors? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and she has got, she's got a cool outfit. She's got a floral short sleeve button up. It's almost like a, it's almost like a Hawaiian shirt. Um, and then. I think it's really, it's intentionally, because he like makes a funny, hilarious Asian schoolgirl joke later. It's very like traditional Chinese tea, Mm. like tea room uh, thing. But instead of like red with gold, it's just like green. Ah, okay. And she's also, she's also like, she's in a room with a bunch of like, very traditional looking Chinese furniture and tea stuff. Like it's like a tea room. I see. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> She's got hair sticks, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Those are important. <laughs> Good job, hussy. I mean, they are actually, they're her weapons. Um, yeah. And uh, so she's like smashing this fenestrated wall um, and Scratch just turns it off. Um, at that point, so Scratch says, <laughs> I've made it clear that this filth is to remain off or I will ha- or will I have to suspend your furniture privileges again? And she like yeets the chair at his head. <laughs> he's, also then, like, he's also like, hey, no fifth wall shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? What else does she do? Then she um, it's this is a good sequence. Then she like stabs him in the head with her hair sticks, like pulsing with this like magic. Um, and he goes, I'm going to have to revoke your breathing privileges and like teleports her onto the outside of a spaceship. Yeah. Um, and her response is to shove her hair sticks into the outlet instead and just threaten to end herself. Um, yeah. And then, uh, Scratch finally explains what the fuck is going on with her. And then we get into this long series where there's a main panel narrative and then there's also shit happening in the top bar. So we're going to talk about the main panel stuff first and then we'll go yes. over what happens in the top bar. Um, so Doc gives a bunch of background on this and I'm just going to honestly skip over it. But basically, uh, there was an original troll universe prior to the one that we've seen on screen. And in that universe... Do you want me to try to explain it from what I understood of this? Oh, yes. Wait, yeah, that's way more fun. Okay. So what he basically says is... Uh, 
in the original universe, uh, the 12 troll players were at a systemic disadvantage because of a small, like, very polite glitch introduced by Lord English, which he, I guess, like, uses as a calling card to, like, say, to, like, claim this universe. Uh, and that means that at the end of their failed session, uh, they spoke to a denizen and they took a choice to either just die or to scratch their session and live new lives in a new reality where their evolution would be overseen by Doc Scratch to hone the troll race into perfect suburb playing machines. Yes. But then there was, and that also that there they would have no memories of the original session. Um, but there was a single hitch in that there was a signless ancient troll who whose mutant blood somehow uh, allowed him to remember the original universe. Right, where the trolls were originally, you know, a peaceful species instead of having been manipulated from the beginning. So, uh, and the idea is the ancestors now were the Kiro children in the original yeah. universe, and they're supposed to have their memories wiped, but because this person is a mutant, um, he's called they call him the Sufferer or the Signless, and so he can remember, and so he's preaching it to people, and so of course he becomes an enemy of the of the state. There's like a war, um, and and where Karkat's symbol comes from is the type of manacles that they would that they put on him um, when he yeah. was being like executed, basically. I don't know. It, t- it tells you about the other ancestors. Solix's ancestor was this like psychic ship captain who ended up uh, being condemned to be kind of like physically integrated with the leader of the entire troll, you know, planet. Yeah. So there's the, so this is in the second universe where their like entire society revolves around producing suburb like warriors. Uh, so there's, there's the Dolorosa who is one of Kanaya's ancestors who stays underground their whole lives raising Lucises. And uh, by Carcat's uh, time, they will have bred a Lucis that is sympathetic to his mutant scent. But because there was no such Lucis at the time that the Sufferer uh, arrived underground in a comet, uh, the Dolorosa took pity on him and breaking uh, troll taboo raised him at, as a parent, uh, fleeing to the surface and becoming his first uh, disciple. Um, but then there's the the disciple, uh, who is his most fervent follower, who is Nepeta's ancestor, uh, who loved him and took his leggings, I guess, which are his like the symbol of his martyrdom, uh, <laughs> and then beca- became a hermit in a cave, painting his words in animal blood. Uh, she was spared by the executioner, or the executor, uh, with a division sign, which is Equius's ancestor. Uh, and then the Dolorosa was taken as a slave by uh, some fearsome seafaring ancestors uh who we have heard from before mm. uh and then there's the uh Solix's ancestor whose name contains like a stupid greek letter uh <laughs> but he becomes trapped as like part yeah he becomes part of the her condescension's uh flagship and with his super powerful psychic abilities he is able to make it the fastest ship in the universe and her condescension or the condes uh, who is the empress of the trolls, uh, uses that power to uh, expand the troll empire through space, uh, arriving first at planets and in peace, and then in her wake follows her enormous hordes of troll uh, subjugators, etc. Right. Um, (laughs) And she also, so her power uh, with her link with, uh, how do you say the name? 
Glub Glub? I just say Glub Glub. It's like Glub Galib. Glub Galib. Uh, with her link with Glub Galib, she's able to like end lives instantly. Uh, and so that's how she uh, becomes like the most powerful person in the universe. Uh, but she obviously tries to keep it in check so that she doesn't actually just kill everyone. But it's like a huge threat that she can leverage over people. Um, and then eventually, we it, off screen, we get the reminder of the um, Tavros's ancestor leading uh, an uprising. And that leading to all the adult trolls leaving Alternia. Uh, and so the idea with that is that with all the trolls spread out through the stars... Uh, there's not enough concentration of dissent in any one place to ever uh, threaten her again. Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, all the heiresses of her same color blood as her, such as Feffery, uh, are not only expected to challenge her her uh, her reign, but like Glub Glub demands it of them. Essentially, kind of dooming them um, because they're yeah. they you know they can't defeat her, and and the implication there is that Doc Scratch is like. Um, kind of puppeting Glub Glub a little bit, like kind of in, or, or set her, she's a lady monster, like set her in, made, made her what she is, made her like the monster that she is. So yeah, when, uh, when the session started and Alternia was destroyed by comets, uh, she was the, the condescence, her, her condescendent, what do we call her? The condess? The condess, yeah. Condess, okay. The condess was further away than she had ever been before, uh, just because she was like, going her her ship was so fast and she was so powerful uh but by the time that she got word that the end times were upon alternia uh it was too late and uh glub glub's vast glub had killed everyone all like it had the sound rippling through the cosmos had killed every troll except for her and her heiress yeah and and left her on this formerly super fast ship but it killed the psionic that was powering it um and so now she was taking forever to get back home yeah, 600 sweeps. Right. And and it's at this point that we realize that time is weird because um, basically she's actually now just about to arrive at Doc Scratch's yeah. place, like in minutes. And we also see uh, basically one of the ancestor trolls ended up uh, arriving late uh, <laughs> after Alternia had already been destroyed uh, and ended up in the foster care of Doc Scratch. Uh, and that, of course, is this uh, Aradia-like troll. Yes, who... We so don't... she's actually younger. Huh? Go ahead. So she's actually, like, chronologically, she arrived as a grub after the the main trolls. Yes, long after. Hundreds that... of years after. Yeah. Um, so she and the Condess are the last trolls in the universe. Yes. Um, and, like, and, like, the thing is, it's it's, like the it's at this point that i like lose track of the continuity of time there's a little bit of like wobbliness happening here because i guess i guess doc scratch is being weird about where we are we the audience are with him on the timeline i think he's dragging us around a little bit because we see her i guess we get interrupted by her being this like teenager um and she's trying to escape and the ship is arriving but yet at the same time um she has already supposedly um you know, been alive, been fully raised as this, you know, what she's supposed to be, <laughs> which I guess we should talk about. Um, yeah. Which is the the handmaid to Lord English. She's supposed to be this, like, um, 
weapon of terror and suffering. Yeah. Um, and so she's, you know, actually already a myth because she's been bouncing around through time, through history, causing death and suffering. Um, and her, her, she's got conditional immortality where all she wants to do is die. But, um, she is not allowed to until she completes her service. And what she is supposed to do in service is recruit the Condess to work for Lord English. But instead, <laughs> instead, uh, Hussey has some things to say about this. <laughs> so yeah, as we're, as we're getting all this exposition, like on the top of the website, like on the header, which has throughout this whole time, like just been a still or like mostly been a still image of inside Doc's house, we start seeing Hussey kind of like sneaking through it. Uh, yes. Like going past the the bowl of candy uh, and sneaking up behind the clock and uh, attacking Doc Scratch to let the girl uh, escape. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good because he like, so he busts in through the same fenestrated wall that like the handmaid was trying to beat with a chair grabs the discipline broom of Doc Scratches off of her bed. And then as uh, he is like lecturing her, Hussey like comes up behind him, like whoops his clock and then like whoops him. Um, and then that action moves into the main panel. Um, and we're like in the home tra- stretch. We're in the home stretch. We're so close. <laughs> and this is where Hussey says to Doc, you've locked up your last Asian schoolgirl, you sick fuck. Which, eh. Yeah. You're you're the one who made her a nation schoolgirl, Hussy. And that's like that's the entire like the entire thing, like so let's get into it. The entire thing is like uh this cosmic proportions like tale of literally he literally says grooming, uh and like child abuse and like abuse of an entire like evolutionary tree of people, uh, for a singular purpose. And Hussy coming in saying, Hey, this is fucked up, like why like I'm going to stop this when he's the one who decided any of it existed. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't, it, I, I get what he's going for, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I totally get what he's going for. And he like, I definitely do not think that he literally identifies with the self insert character in any way. I think the self insert is very much a caricature. Um, right. Nevertheless, like it is what it is. It's got his name. Um, and like, you like you did invent this all of this and i think you know on the one hand it's like it's a really good way to like invent a villain that you really hate um but it's also like i don't know i thought this was really funny when i was i thought it was really funny when i was like 17 in I think, 2011 I think it, yeah that that's a that's a valid reading especially like before uh all media became what it is and before like the idea that no matter what how like ser- like how ridiculous your satire is there's someone who will believe and think it's good uh it, it so- sometimes feels like it is necessary to like have an author insert character say hey this is bad huh yeah fuck this actually yeah this isn't cool this isn't like dark and but that is that is a really good point like doc scratch doesn't get to be like cool dark badass whatever like he gets his ass whooped with a broom and he's a puppet on the floor like yeah it's it's funny when when hussy's around it's a reverse calvin and hobbs thing so he's just a puppet yeah <laughs> oh god which is kind of disturbing because then what's everyone else right <laughs> <laughs> but so he does it and and he just 
whoops him and and he's on the floor and then he goes recall that the reason we're here in the first place is is in the metafiction um homestuck disc two was broken because the kids had scratched the disc um or because terezi had scratched it by trying to put on a record player one or the other right uh or or both because time and causality anyway um (laughs) so the disc is too scratched so you bring it to the doc to the scratch doctor and he's supposedly fixing it, but he's talking your fucking ear off and doing child abuse at you um, instead. And so Hussey reaches into his like lifeless stuffing body and pulls out the disc and is like, he fucking already fixed it. He's just holding yeah. you hostage <laughs> as an audience. Um, yeah. And uh, then there's a sweet bro in hella Jeff. There's <laughs> nothing to do yeah. with anything. Has nothing to do with anything. And there's also like, hilarious uh hussy calling himself homo oh yeah that's like yeah yeah funny hilarious funny um yeah there's like the arsler is in this reading like multiple times like it's yeah mm. yeah um but but i I, the the joke of the sweet bone hell jeff kind of holds up where like the the meta joke is it's just like the one character trying to show the other character the proper way to like hold praying hands in church, but it's just the same four panels recycled over and over and over and over. And first it's like meant to be a joke as if this montage is going to resolve, but it just like fractally splits and divides (laughs) and becomes ever smaller until it just becomes and and the JPEG artifacts are so severe that it's just this like (laughs) rainbow, this like waving rainbow of, cartoon hands trying to pray dissolving into pixel distortion so was that actually linked in this because i didn't see that oh yeah so if you click where it goes you know ou and then like a bunch of slurs um you're snapping wrong and then if you click on the snapping hand it takes you to a sweet bro and hella jeff okay yeah but anyway if you don't click on that and you do click on the next arrow um it takes you to um uh a page where you unsnop. Um, right. You unsnop and then you attempt a rare and highly dangerous 5x showdown combo. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, a whole bunch of trolls on the roof of the lab uh, with like in the background are their ancestors and they're all going to fight each other. And then it's a fake out and uh, Karkat just shooshes and paps them till they, till they all calm down. Yeah. I, he, he shooshes and paps some of them and, and um, then it's like... I don't know. This mo- this moment is still super touching for me because the main thing is like you think that you've been you've been set up for this like big confrontation of like taking out this ancestral rage on like Gamzee who's gone so dark and seems like so completely like lost um, from the like sweet kid that he totally was. Um, but like recall that like these two characters used to be like best friends and Carcat just like holds him and like and it's played for laughs and it's very silly of yeah. like shoo 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 pat 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 like patting him on the face yeah as Gandhi just goes honk like <laughs> like yeah it is a very humorous sequence and then it ends with them hugging and it's like wow cute um but then uh, it zooms out and it's uh hussy like writing a happy ending in this big blood-stained book with miss paint beside him uh and then closes that book and it's uh not not the real story it's a double fake out no it is the real story that really happened i promise that i I, i'm not fucking with you that really happened oh it did yeah 
Oh, okay. I thought it. I thought that the implication was that it was a another alternate timeline. Like, oh, we can just pretend for ten pages that they calmed down. Oh, no, they actually did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that really happened. Okay, that's good then. Yeah, it's a testament to like the 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 goodness deep down in all of us. Like, so, and I forgot. I honestly, I actually forgot about that particular bit about troll society because I've been kind of squirming with it, and it, it makes me wonder whether Hussey knew of this in advance because he notoriously makes up his continuity later. Um, but like, kind of squirming at the notion of like troll society is this like inherently violent thing. Um, and, you know, he actually kind of comes in and addresses it because you've seen individual characters definitely expressing well, those identity issues of, like, am I meant to right. be this? I'm not sure I want to be this. And I don't know if, like, it's just my reading, but I always, like, from the moment we learned about Troll Society, figured that there was something going on. Like, mm. mostly just because, like, it was pretty obvious that they were all being groomed from childhood to place burb. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, it's, it definitely always seemed like an outside force that was like telling them like what they were expected to be. Um, and I don't know, like, like the fact that there are like actual physical biological differences, like in the like lifespans and stuff. I don't know, actually, if that stuff happened in the original universe. Um, but even if it did, the implication seems to be that like a peaceful alternia is possible because it happened before and... The reason it doesn't exist now is because a, a deal with the devil was struck to save the universe. Yes, right. Because so and it's important to say that the reason those those original trolls made that deal to try again is because it wasn't just to save their own lives. They they were the last trolls alive, right? Anytime you place a burb, you are right. saving your universe, you're saving your entire species. So that was the only way to perpetuate their entire civilization was to try again. So it's not it wasn't just self-serving, but it was a totally a deal with the devil. Right. I definitely, I, I think, you know, in my rereads of it, I, I often, like, I get it in my head that it's meant to just be, just to go back to the Condes and, and kind of be ascribed internally to this to this culture rather than um, this, like, bigger, more sinister, more systemic um, thing. Like, it's not just woven into their, like, society or whatever. It's literally woven into, like, like everything was machinated about their entire universe from its birth to make them like this. Um, right. So I feel like that's good to talk about. I think the other thing to your point about the cast differences, like still gross. Um, I think that is meant to be, um, they don't address here whether it is, it was in fact a feature previously. Uh, they don't say one or the other, which makes me suspect that it was, but what they kind of allude to is, is and it's something that, that is kind of downplayed um, in the trolls arc that we witness on screen. But um like the warmer color blooded trolls, like they don't live as long, but they all have like special powers. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, there's no, like there's no cast of trolls without powers, like without the ability. And like, that's part of like why, um, like uh, doc talks about how the, the society like has to be put at odds with each other uh, so that they don't unify and overthrow the Condess, which Hmm, kind of has, I don't know, real world parallels. God, it's so funny. Something I've been thinking about a lot is like all of this media that came out during this period where um, uh, I feel like in a nutshell, war wasn't real to most Americans who were, you know, alive and creating pop culture media. Um, yeah. You know, Gen Xers 
uh, like Hussey, who were making these media, like, didn't, I mean, they lived through wars, but not wars that really touched American soil very much, um, particularly if you're a white person, because, um, like, the war on drugs was a very real thing and things like that, but um, if you weren't involved in things like that, like, war wasn't real. I mean, like, war wasn't real to me in any kind of, like, visceral sense, you know? I didn't, yeah. you, you don't feel like you're unsafe. You're not, the, the sense of division in the country is, um, and I mean, like, and you see it in other countries too, like it's happening kind of everywhere. And it, it, there's this sense of division, but it's like ideological. It's sad. It's not, uh, viscerally frightening. Like, how am I going to protect myself right now? Yeah. Like my physical meat body is under threat. My like entire way of life is under threat. It's going to stay under threat. And a lot of that materially, I think, for us right now is more because of the pandemic. You know, if you're not a protester on the ground um, or a black person being over-policed um, or an indigenous person being over-policed, that kind of thing, I feel like it, it comes, yeah. it really comes from that. But with that happening and then the pandemic happening at the same time, not to get way political on name, but... Um, I mean, let's go. <laughs> like, I... I, I think to bring it back to Homestuck, it's like there was all of this art made with messages like that, right? Like you have to keep them divided so that they don't rise up. And it, but the way that it's like handled is so like a fairy tale moral, you know? And so it's kind of wild. Yeah. In, in the political context at the time, that was kind of a fairy tale moral. Um, you know, Obama had been president for almost four years at that point when this was going up and everybody was just all high on that. Um, not everybody, but <laughs> lots of people were real high on that. I was real high on that at the time. Uh, it was like, great. Yeah. Like we're going to get gay marriage, whatever. Um, and like, nope. <laughs> like, like, like it's, it's so different to go back and read or watch media about war or about violence now, because it's like, Oh, Oh, it's like that. Um, and the different levels of, like, respect or, like, naivete with which it's handled, the levels of, like, sort of authorial remove that it gets handled with, yeah. like, the level of seriousness, how it's, w what purpose it serves in the story. Like, I feel like a lot of times it's more, it's not really about this, it's just being used for drama. Did I make a point? <laughs> I think so. I think, well, yes, yes, you did. You made, you made good points. Um, like, I think it definitely the thing that I've been kind of thinking is like as white North Americans living in the late 20th, early 21st century until now, we are probably some of the people with the most like shielding from mortal terror ever to exist, like everywhere else in the world ever. And for many people here, like this feeling isn't new. Yeah. And I think that this comic and a lot of other media at the time was written by and for people for whom that wasn't a real feeling and so it we kind of just have exited that period of history now and it's hard to uh go back to it with the same kind of uh lens yeah yeah it yeah it's bizarre I was, I literally, I, I'm sure you didn't read them because we were getting ready to start this podcast. I was like waiting for you to like eat your lunch, which I shouldn't have been, should have been getting ready. But, um, I was like, I went on Twitter and I was like, um, like just thinking about that exact topic actually, which is just like, this is everybody's life. Like, yeah, I don't know. Even, even a lot of Europeans have seen like yeah. white Europeans have seen way more violence 
you know, that's a that's a visceral memory for them. And I, I am sure that that's part of the reason that their governments behave the way that they do and their popular right. movements look the way that they do. Um, because it just it is just such a fantasy world when you can go, you know, and we sent folks overseas, but like, then they came home and they were othered, right? You know, like yeah. the last time I feel like there was generational trauma inside of the United States broadly, um, or I guess like inside of maybe North America, because um, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to ostracize you as a Canadian, is <laughs> was like the Great Depression. Um, right. I think that definitely was a national trauma. And I think to agree, like to a degree, like World War II was a, was a national trauma as well, um, but but less so. Do you know what I mean? I think it was much more yeah. of a fairy tale here. As much as there were shortages and there was rationing and the economy changed and all right. of that. Yeah. Um, it's just not the same even, as my body's not safe. My personal body is not safe. Right. And I think even like the Cold War and like the prospect of nuclear annihilation being a legitimate possibility at all times, even that like real as it was, was so abstracted that it's not the same thing as um like the prospect of dying from a virus or being shot in the street um but that's the only reference that we have like that's the only reference our parents have and so i think i don't know maybe i'm talking out of my ass but i feel like because that was so abstracted that's and that's their response like that's their reference for like mortal danger uh that's maybe why older people are more able to just kind of pretend that nothing's happening <laughs> Yeah. Oh, because yeah. For them, because for them, when this happened before, it was in a way like not real, like because they, there was nothing they could do about it. Whereas now there is stuff we can do about it. Yeah, that's so true. And like I think about that sometimes. And I, I before shit started getting really real in American cities, like it with the protests, I think I was relating a lot. Um, to the Cold War and how it might have been during the Cold War. Because as much as you can do things to kind of keep yourself safe, um, and there was activism you could do there, I mean, like, for a while we were, like, kind of freaked out about, like, Iran. We were kind of freaked out about, like, North Korea. Um, but, and the only way that I could kind of, like, wrap my head around it was, like, this is, you know, we went through the Cold War, not not recently, you know, people survived yeah. that. And it definitely did fuck people up in the head. I do think it totally made, made people really weird and paranoid about things. Um, but it's not the same. Um, yeah. It's it's not the same. I'm so happy we had this conversation. Not... Yeah, I, me too. So Homestuck, we didn't finish it. <laughs> we didn't finish it. I hope our listeners appreciate our, uh, our discussion of existential dread from a privileged pr- position. Uh, sorry. Um... <laughs> But no, I think I'll keep that in. Like, that was that was good. And it does, it is about, like, it is what the thing is about. It is, like, the politics of this is that uh, a better world is possible if we if we unite and uh, reject the society that uh, hones us into killing machines. Yeah. Yes. And I feel like that's kind of what it boils down to. I feel like that the, the, re- the emotional reaction that we're coming from is basically, like, um, when I, when, you know, when I read this the first time, it was very much, like, um... It was very much like, well, of course, this is the narrative. Of course, you are people are inherently good, whatever. And like, it yeah. hits different. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we finish up, there is one little thing we skipped, mm. which is uh, just Gamzy trolling Dave. Yes. Uh, like a, a vignette of, I, I can't tell. I don't think this is a dream. I think this is really just a flashback to like the first time or one of the first times Gamzy trolled Dave mm-hmm. uh, from Dave's perspective. But from Gamzy's perspective, it's during his rampage. And he's just furious with Dave uh, sharing 
the uh, Insane Clown Posse video and exposing his entire religion as a lie or something. Um, but basically what it... I can't follow it because they're both extremely obtuse. But basically, Gamzee's like, well, I created your, your universe and I'm imbuing it with evil clown energy. And then there's a picture of John in his bed and then like an evil clown imp appears on his bed. So I guess uh, Gamzee put the evil clown imps in the game and he Gamzee has little cal eyes yeah it's bad <laughs> <laughs> and then they have an off-screen rap battle yes <laughs> which the the narration says is one of the best rap battles of all paradox space but it's off-screen shame mm-hmm. not a shame i don't read the <laughs> raps i never read the raps i'm so sorry yeah there was there was one between Gamzee and Davros in here too, and I just skipped that all because it wasn't actually about anything. Yeah, it was basically about, um, I mean, it was basically um, a bunch of table setting and then Gamzee saying that maybe one day when we all are physically together playing this Spurb game, or what is it called, like Hive Vent or whatever it's called, um, for the for the trolls, um, we will, maybe we can make out. And Tavros is like, what? And then it's t- it's literally, which I think is just put on the table to then flavor the fact that then we see Gamzee in the middle of his rampage. He did. He didn't kill Tavros. I don't think. Did he kill Tavros? I can't remember. Briska killed Tavros. Briska killed Tavros, but he's there with Tavros's corpse and like brown blood on his mouth. Yeah. Bad. Oh, oh, I didn't even. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. A couple, a little bit of what's happening here, like, Hussie loves to, like, hit you in the stomach like that. Um, and there's a mm-hmm. little bit of, like, him taking this, like, last little opportunity to just, like, cram in as many little sucker punches like that as he possibly can. Um, it's, like, a little bit cheap, but pl- enough of them do pay off that I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> we gotta get to the end. Um, yes, <laughs> let's talk about this ending. Yeah, so literally all that happens um, is, so there's a page that's the start of the page of the year four recap, and then Hussey just writing, no, fuck this, on the piece of paper. We cut to, um, and I I can't remember if these are silent panels, but the dialogue's not really important. Um, Yeah, it's silent. Yeah, okay, so yeah, so it's Jade, you know, standing on top of a very tall tower in her land um, with the Genesis frog tadpole in the eight ball um and jack getting ready to do something i guess hatchet um and uh then something starts falling from the sky and it's shaving cream yeah it's like an entire like palette of shaving cream with an uh like coming down on a parachute with some c4 stuck to Um, the sides yeah this is a callback to something like there was shaving cream at some point i don't remember what the context was though I don't either. This is like a long ago bit with, I think, John and Club's Deuce and the Wayward Vagabond found yeah. like some of John's dad's shaving cream and they're like fucking around with it. Yes. So, and actually, honestly, not that long ago. It just takes us, you know, <laughs> life is <laughs> happening years to us, us right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. Um, uh, but Club's Deuce is here. He's here with like a pallet of shaving cream and a bunch of explosives and he brings it down on the tower and detonates it and sends the genesis frog flying off the side of the tower into a fucking active volcano which is the forge right which is the forge um and we see jade dead on the ground like labeled dead yeah 
Which is how you know. Which is how you know. Um, and and she is not God tier yet, by the way. In yeah. this in this iteration. Uh and and Jack, uh Jack is right there and he is like he starts flying into a rage and then the next link is S Cascade. Yes. Uh so yeah, um like Jack told CD to do this because he can't do it himself, but also because he can't do it himself, he's furious when it happens because he is still just Jade's do- good dog. Yeah. And that's it. We made it. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, I have no idea what's in store. Yeah, gosh, I have to go back and rewatch it. It's going to take some picking apart. I believe I have dedicated the entire next episode to just unpacking it. Um, Good. Because it, it's a lot, because honestly, you watch it as a viewer, you are not going to understand what's happening. You, it's it's very opaque. <laughs> it's very cool to watch, and then you figure out what happened after. I, yeah, I definitely imagine I'm going to watch it once to experience, and then a second time for notes. Yes. Yes. And hopefully it'll be, you know, who knows when it'll be. We hope it's sooner than later. But if you're still, if you're still like riding with us after literally all of these like years or whenever you hopped on, if you're one of those people, we always get new people every year at 413. Um, so if you yeah. just hopped on this year, hello. Um, Hi, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Um, sorry. And you're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, this is absolutely, this is literally just a passion project and Earth is what it is and to be on it is what it is. And so these episodes happen when they happen. But somehow in five years, almost five years, uh, they haven't oh stopped happening. So yeah, not stopping now. We're finally, at, <laughs> we're finally at the part where Homestuck begins. God, stop, stop it. <laughs> because here's the thing is i kind of i lost i dropped off like maybe a year after cascade happened so because there was a really long hiatus <laughs> and then a bunch of the shit after yeah. that was a game and i didn't enjoy the game very much and i didn't it- that's actually so that's actually something worth figuring out um because i think like all the flash like all the flash everywhere is like not gonna work after mm. this year um and i imagine that the people like archiving it someone will do Homestuck and like make sure that it's still playable. Uh, but we will have to figure out probably a way of getting it to work. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm, it is going to be unsupported, which I'm hoping means that somebody yeah. quite soon is going to be like, all right, well, here's the plugin that supports it because your vanilla Chrome browser won't do it. And that'll be the end of it. Cause like, right. I don't know, for example, like I watched the five X showdown combo video that they have hosted on the website right now. Um, and you can go and find better quality versions on YouTube, but it's not a good quality render of the Flash. Like, Flash animation is... I love Flash animation. It's so crisp because of the vectors. Yeah. Um, it's got a little bit of a unique style, and um, and it's just, like, pixelated, and the audio quality is not as good. Like, the audio is really clean oh, in the man. Flash originals. Yeah. Um, so web 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 you know archivists web historians and preservationists like i love you i try to give you money when i can thank you please do homestuck (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure someone is yeah because it's not going to be a priority for viz media because i doubt it's making them that much money anymore (laughs) i mean they've they've got so much like there's like homestuck 2 and like the games and like all this stuff that we're we're not going to think about at least until we finish the first one. I, I don't know. I, I'm not... Homestuck 2 might be good. I probably will not dedicate 10 years to making a podcast about it. No. 
<laughs> Probably not. But I mean, this is the thing. When it's like novel content, you might just read yeah. it. Yeah, I might. I might like it. <laughs> I'm, I know that Jade's daughter is named Yiffany, which I don't like. <gasps> no! Because... No! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who knows what the quality is? No! Alex, no! <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm... Sorry, I'm I mean, the th- actually breathless. The thing is, like, it's the thing is, it's written by like extremely online trans furries, as far as I can tell. Oh, what? So, like, oh, wait, wait, it's a fan project. It's an officially licensed. Like, it's the writing team is not Hussy. Mm. Like, it, there are people who are writing it who Hussy has signed off on. Mm. Who are extremely online furries? Yes. Who are great? Yeah, but also I don't really want to read about Yiffany, <laughs> Yiffany Harley. Stop. Oh my god, it like that is like it's like doing something to my rib cage when you say those words. It like is hard to breathe for a second. I'm really trying not to like overreact on the pod, but like I'm hollering. <laughs> it's also like explicitly like it's not non-canon, but it's like hey, canon doesn't mean anything here. Nice. So, you know, take it as you will. <laughs> Honestly, as much as like I fucking hate that, like it is in in the spirit of Homestuck. It is. I think. Which is a conversation for another day, but someday I think we should totally talk about how a lot of, like, what we think about as, like, the culture of Homestuck is really just, it was extremely online, and it's very of its time. And, you know, when Homestuck things come out today that are extremely online, and it's, you don't love to see it, like, um, (laughs) it's... What I think that it might say a little bit more about how, you know, our relationship to online now and being online in 2020 versus in 2010. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. The The Homestuck is a constant. We just get older. God, that should be like the new t- <laughs> the tagline of our is fucking show. <laughs> is that the episode title? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. Good. Oh, man. Um. Do we have anything else to say? So we have dedicated all of, gosh, we're on episode 44. That's wild. We've made 44 episodes of a podcast. High five. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, didn't, did not expect to like get this far when we started. So maybe I did. You know what? That's like, that's like almost one a month. If you think about it. Kind No, wait, that's wrong. That's That math is bad. Hold on. No, it's, it's right. It's been, we started in, I don't know, sometime in late. 2015 yeah we started in november 2015 um Uh so 12 24 36 and then like november december january february march april may june july so that's like another 12 24 36 and then 36 and 9 is 45 so we're at a rate of one a month baby oh my god (laughs) that's what the hell fucking great good job Editor's note, you might have noticed that Lydia skipped an entire year there, and it's actually 57, but still good. Um, oh my god. Well, there we go. It's it's your favorite monthly podcast. <laughs> I'm sticking. <sighs> That's so funny. Thank you. Holy shit. Thank you so much. <laughs> For listening. It, like, amazes yeah. me that people actually listen to this, but they totally do. <laughs> so, thanks. You do help motivate us to spend this time together. We'd probably do this anyway, even if nobody was listening. But it's nice to know that that you're along on this ride. I'd also like to thank uh, Noisepace.xyz and uh, our friend and podcast hoster, Matt, for having us on the network. uh, Because that makes everything a lot easier. 
Yes, thank you so much, Matt. We are no longer uh, languishing out in the void of uh, self-hosting. Um, like, Matt does, like, so much. Like, every day there's, like, something popping up of, like, Matt doing something to, like, help make this network work. Um, ops is, like, a real thing. And, and it's just, like, thank you. I, I also wanted to add, like, thank you to the other Noise Space hosts because it wouldn't be a network without y'all. Um, and all of y'all make yeah. more episodes than we do. So <laughs> thank you for making really cool content, like, and be on the network. Yeah. Um, yeah. Podcasting is really good and I love it. It's just great. It's a great way to like be creative and be in a community. And uh, if you have a podcast idea, uh, you should just try it out and see how it goes because you might end up where we are. Yeah, right. Like we don't have any sponsors. Like we're 44 episodes in. We neither of us have, I think, bought microphones. I'm literally still talking into like my computer mic. Um, like <laughs> <laughs> nothing is, you know, you don't need to make it. It's still fun to just do. Make it as in, like, capital M, make it. Nobody cares. Like, I don't know, maybe you care, but, like, like you don't have to. Oh, no, it's still fun, not. and you can still be part of a community, and it's great. Yeah. Oh, no. To be clear, I do not care about making <laughs> I do not want to ever... I do not want to make a dollar off of podcasts. No, please, no. Never, never, no ads ever. No monetizing any of this. Please, God. <laughs> Under no circumstances should you donate to our Patreon. <laughs> Does Noise Space have a Patreon? Uh, it does. Um, so we don't have a Patreon. We're just doing this for fun. Um, but if you do want to help out the network and help us out uh, through the transitive property, uh, the of and we don't mean Patreon. this. Com slash Noise Space. <laughs> Wait, sorry. I don't know if you want to redo that, but like, um, some <laughs> Max Fun people will talk about like helping us out, and it literally means like pay my bills because this is my job. We literally just mean like you're paying for the hosting. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we if don't you go to Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash noise space and give a dollar or five dollars a month uh, help Matt cover server costs so that he can uh, keep this thing going. Yeah. And as long as that's happening, we will be here. Hell yeah. So I guess that's it. I guess we'll we'll see you next time. All right. Let's just, uh, I guess, close this out. I don't I don't even want to like plug socials anymore. No, <laughs> no. Uh, my name's Lydia. Don't don't you don't need to find me. <laughs> My name's Alex. Uh, if you know where to find me, you know where to find me. You can find the show uh, on Twitter at Hamsteak Podcast or on Tumblr at Hamsteak Podcast. Uh, and thanks. Bye. Until next time, as we always say, we don't have an outro. <laughs> do, 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 do.